Uh, over the last few days, I'm guessing that uh, a lot of you have been uh, glued to your TVs watching the outstanding uh, athletic prowess on TV. Uh, I'm talking, of course, about the recent Crows game against the Bulldogs. No, just joking. Uh, the Olympics. Who's into the Olympics? No, Nick's not, but others in the room are. Excellent. Um, uh, I've, our household has been watching a lot of Olympics, particularly uh, it coincided the, the Olympics with lockdown and terrible weather. And so uh, we watched a lot of it over the last weekend and it's been fantastic. There's something absolutely uh, we love about watching the pinnacle of uh, human endeavour, sporting achievement and these incredible athletes doing their stuff. But at the opposite end of the scale... I've got to say there's something else that I enjoy watching every now and then, which is a thing that you uh, can see on YouTube. Uh, there's lots of these YouTubes called fails, fail videos. Who's into fail videos? Nick's into fail videos, so he's not into the Olympics, but into fail videos. Fail videos, if you've missed them, are just basically people uh, failing at things, generally just doing stupid stuff and just being complete idiots. And I've got to say, as much as it's uplifting to watch people uh, achieving the height of sort of sporting perfection. It's somehow also uplifting watching people fail in these fail videos. I don't know what it is. It's, it's probably the wrong part of human sort of, uh, you know, um, I don't know. But um, there's something about watching people just doing stupid things that is kind of uh, enjoyable to watch. And I think there's something about it that the reason for that is perhaps that when we're laughing at someone who's being foolish we are not the one being foolish. And deep down there's something in us that, that doesn't like to be seen of as an idiot or, or a fool. Rather, we like to be seen of as being wise, as being smart, and as being uh, successful. Now, when you have kids, uh, kids have this interesting way of keeping you humble. When you have young kids, they look up to you and you are sort of a hero to them. And then just as you're hitting an age where you feel like you have some wisdom to offer the, the world, your kids hit teenage years. And this changes everything because, uh, because now you feel like you're wise, but your kids remind you always that you are not wise. And they like to remind you that you don't know very much at all. Um, I was talking to my kids about, about foolishness and I said, what sort of story, do you know any stories about foolishness? And so they reminded me of a few stories of, of my own foolishness. One of them is uh, a story about um, a tuna pie, okay? So when you go to the bakery, often you get, uh, you know, steak or you get steak and onion or you, you might get a chicken pie. But once I went to a bakery and I, I had a tuna pie, which sounds a bit unusual. And uh, then we were traveling somewhere and, and Mel and the kids went in to, to get some pies from the bakery and she said, what variety do you want? And everyone's giving their orders. And I said, I'll have a tuna pie, please. She said, what, what's a tuna pie? I said, oh, they'll have a tuna pie. It's pretty common. Most bakeries have tuna pies, I'm, I'm pretty sure. So she went in. She's like, they won't have that. I'm like, yeah, just, just ask for it. So she goes in. Do you have a tuna pie? She comes back to the car. She said, they didn't have a tuna pie. When I asked for it, they just looked, like I was a, looked at me like I was an idiot. And my whole family are going, what is a tuna pie? That's, uh, Tommy's like, that's un-Australian. And... Uh, uh, does, you know, does it even exist? And so now, whenever I go to a bakery, I will ask if they have a tuna pie. And so often, I get this blank look from the person serving, and they just look at me like, 
what is a tuna pie? We don't have that. That's not a thing. So I don't know. Has anyone in the room had a tuna pie from a bakery? No one. You've got you to just ask for it next time. It's fantastic. Um, I don't know why. But anyway, life keeps you humble. This morning's message is a message about wisdom and foolishness. And that's the, the question we're asking today comes back to the message of the cross. Is the message of the cross a message of wisdom or is it a message of foolishness? Is the message of the cross a message of power or is it a message of weakness? Now, because I'm preaching this message to mostly people who know the Lord and know the message of the cross and, and love it, I can probably almost hear you shouting out to me through your uh, screen, it's a message of wisdom and it's a message of power. And that is, I guess, what we've come to believe. But if we were to ask a sample uh, of Australian, Christian, Australian people just out in society, society today, is it a message of foolishness or a message of wisdom? Well, what would they say? Perhaps some would uh, politely decline to say anything. Perhaps uh, there would be those many these days who actually don't know what the message of the cross really is and they would be confounded by the question, unable to answer. But there would certainly be some who would declare quite strongly that the message of the cross, the gospel, the message that the Christian church, that the Christian message proclaims is a message of foolishness, of weakness, a message that is nothing more than legend or myth that doesn't make sense. And in fact, the interesting part is that if we were to go to academia, onto the university, and we were to uh, ask lecturers or those who are highly, highly educated, those who are considered in our day and age to be sort of the, uh, the wise people of our age, what they thought we would get a higher percentage of people who would more strongly declare our faith message, our gospel to be foolishness. And so what do we make of that? And uh, that's what I want to share this morning as we study uh, 1 Corinthians, starting at verse 18. If you've got a Bible, you can open up to that. 1 Corinthians, uh, starting at verse 18. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent, I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs, and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews, and foolishness to Gentiles, but to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. 
God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that were not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us the wisdom or wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness, with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith may not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. So um, Nick titled this sermon, the, the Wisdom of the Cross. It could actually also be titled The Power of the Cross, but it could also be titled The Foolishness of the Cross. And um, the truth is that the message of the cross, since the very beginning of the church, right through its history and till today, has been received by some, by those who are being uh, saved as a message of wisdom, while at the very same time, the very same message is received by others as a message of foolishness. That was the reality here in Corinth more than 2,000 years ago today, more than 2,000 years ago, and it's the same story today. So Paul starts out, uh, verse 17 sort of leads into this. He says in verse 17, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Paul's uh, saying, uh, I didn't come with some great, uh, I'm not some great preacher, it's not about the way that I speak, it's not about the, the quality of my, my words and that I convince you with my eloquence or my great reason, it's actually the reason the gospel has been established in this city called Corinth is because of the power of God. It's because of the cross and the power of the cross. And we need to understand that the cross has always been deeply confronting and offensive to some people. It's always been a subversive message. Verse 19 and 20 are fighting words. Uh, I kind of like the message version. The message version says this. It says, I'll turn conventional wisdom on its head. I'll expose so-called experts as shams. So where can you find someone truly wise, truly educated, truly intelligent in this day and age? Hasn't God exposed it all as pretentious nonsense? Since the world in all its fancy wisdom never had a clue when it came to knowing God, God in his wisdom took delight in using what the world considered stupid, preaching of all things to bring those who trust him into the way of salvation. Do you know that what you're doing right now is considered completely foolish to most people in our world in a secular nation of Australia? For the team who serve here this morning, foolishness to get up early on a Sunday morning and to come and serve in a church. For you listening, even to tune in and to give your time on a Sunday morning when you could be 
doing whatever is foolishness to our world. And yet it is to us the power of God. Why is the message of the cross so confronting and why is it considered foolish? Let me give you three reasons. The first is simply because it is a message about a cross. Uh, The theologian Gordon Fee said this, he said, it's hard for those of us in the Christianized West where the cross for almost 19 centuries has been the primary symbol of our faith to appreciate how utterly mad the message of a God who got himself crucified by his enemies must have seemed to first century Greeks or Romans. It is precisely the depth of this scandal and folly that we must appreciate if we are to understand both why the Corinthians were moving away from it towards wisdom and why it was well over a century before the cross appears among Christians as a symbol of their faith. Isn't that interesting? It took almost a hundred years till the cross became a symbol of Christian faith. Uh, The early Christian faith from a century used the fish as the primary symbol of faith and crosses appeared later. Part of that was the sheer scandal of the cross. And as time has gone by, we've kind of lost that. If we were to replace uh, the, 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 the cross with, with an electric chair, because the cross as it was a method of execution and the cruelest one, some of our songs would sound really strange. We sing about, Oh, the wonderful cross. How strange that song would sound to us if the title was, Oh, the wonderful electric chair. Or the song titled, The Power of the Cross, The Power of the Electric Chair. That's a bit too close. Uh, um, but that doesn't really connect it with us because we've never been close to seeing someone executed in that way. But for first century uh, people, the cross was something present in their culture, something they had seen face to face. They had seen people executed on crosses. They had seen the horror, the absolute horror of the cross. And now Christians were declaring that the power of God to save was tied up to the death of Jesus on a cross. That Jesus dying on a cross was actually the means for our salvation and that was the power of the God, a power of God evident there. Sometimes um, we, we've just sort of lose track of it. I, I think about, um, sometimes I was thinking about what sort of cross, because I want to kind of get a cross up there and think I'd really like a nice looking cross, like a stylish cross. And I think, hold on, how can I be thinking about a stylish cross? So we, you know, buy jewellery and we look at it and go, I want a particularly attractive gold cross or maybe I'd prefer a Celtic cross because that's kind of like stylish. A cross isn't a stylish thing. A cross is a, is a cruel method of execution. And so that is the first reason why the, the message of the cross uh, seems like foolishness. The second reason is that the message of the cross is about a God who enters humanity and then dies on a cross. And in fact, the whole story of our faith, the story of of a virgin birth and then a a Jesus who does miracles through his life and casts out demons and then dies on a cross and then is raised to life and comes out of an empty tomb. That whole story in our secular society is difficult for our society to accept because we're a society that has largely rejected miracles and the very idea of God entering human flesh is something hard for people to comprehend. Thirdly, the message of the cross seems like foolishness and is, is a, a divisive message because it is a message 
that says that Jesus died for our sin. And the fact that he died for our sin means that we are a people who need to repent of our sin and turn to God. And again, that message in our world today is offensive and difficult for people to accept. And so I guess I want us to realize this morning that the message of the cross is and always has been a message that divides, that divides people. And we don't want to just lose sight of that as we go out and share our faith. The, the gospel is essentially the message that people, uh, it gives people what they need, but not necessarily what they want. Have a look at verse 22. It says this, it says, Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom. The Jews didn't want a message of a cross. They wanted some signs. They, they were looking for powerful signs that showed that, um, that this message about Jesus was true. To them, the, the idea that the Messiah would be crucified and die and would be humiliated on a cross, the Messiah who was coming as God's king to be victorious, that was deeply offensive. To Greeks, what they wanted was someone to come and bring a message of profound wisdom and to, to bring an eloquent, eloquent, reasoned argument. And the Christians are there saying, put your faith in Jesus who died on a cross. And it wasn't giving, this message wasn't what they wanted to hear, but it was what they needed to hear. What about Australians? What do modern Australians want in the area of God and spirituality? What, is our, what does our nation want today? Well, I think what most Australians want, my sense is they want a kind of spirituality that gives them a sense of feeling some sense of peace or tranquility in this busy and hectic world. But they certainly don't want anything that demands anything of them. I think people uh, still have that longing for God. They still have that God-shaped hole in their hearts. They still feel the emptiness and the brokenness, but they don't really want God as a king who is a judge who we need to repent of our sins of and come in submission under and make Jesus Lord of all. That's a message that's hard for Australians. And yet that is the very thing that we need. It's the very thing that as we do that, we find ourselves experiencing freedom and joy and hope and peace. It's not what they need, it's not what they want, but it's what we need. So what did the Corinthians want from Paul? Well, what they wanted was someone who would come and bring this eloquent message. Jews wanted signs, but he puts it really clearly, verse 23, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, but to those, those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. And this really, this is a clarion call to the church today that we must never, ever, ever stop preaching the cross. We must never stop preaching the cross because it is the power of God. And even if the world, whether the world's in a, in a season where they're receiving it with joy or where it's a season where the world doesn't really want to hear this message, you know, it says preach the gospel in season and out of season. And there are times in history and there are places in the world and there's different times when people preach the gospel and there is revival and, and people are turning to God and turning to Jesus and, turn, and just coming to faith because of the message of the cross. And there are other seasons where we're preaching and preaching and seeking to reach out to a 
world that seems to say, your message is foolishness, we don't want to hear it, it's got no place in our society today. But you know what you do in those times, in season and out of season? We preach Christ crucified. Because it is the message that brings salvation. And as a church, we can sometimes get carried in various directions and we can get interested in all sorts of things and we can have a passion for things that are good things. We can give messages that are very, very practical, you know, practical ways to live your lives or the power of positive thinking or how to have an awesome life or we can get carried away or or, or go in a direction where we're particularly strong in whatever, the spirit or social justice or community or, or anything, all good things, But whatever we're preaching, we need to make sure we are preaching Christ crucified. Let that be the message of this church now and always going forward, that we preach Christ crucified. Paul goes on to say, verse 26, he uses then another example to remind them of of this idea of foolishness and wisdom. He says, um, brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards, not many influential, not many of noble birth. When the early church started, and particularly in Corinth, it's believed that the early church was mainly made up of people who were slaves or freed slaves or people who were pretty much at the bottom rung of society. It wasn't the uh, scholars or the academics or the religious leaders or the powerful people of the day who became the first Christians. It was the people who were down the bottom. And it was a movement of people from the bottom up, not the top down. And these people who were freed slaves and still slaves and people with very little proclaimed this message of the cross and it turned the world upside down. Now, throughout history, there have been times when uh, there's many Christians have been very well educated, outstanding academics, scientists, business leaders, political leaders, and all of this. But there's something that Paul's saying here, which is it's not about your wisdom or your cleverness or your skills or your wealth that advances the kingdom of God. It is the power of the message itself. And so remember, he says, what you were. Remember, remember, we could remember the disciples Jesus chose. He went and found fishermen, tax collectors, and zealots, and says, you guys are going to be the people who will take this gospel out into the world. The first Christians in Corinth, the same. Many Christians through history. It's not about us. It's about God. Salvation is by his work and his power. And then finally, Paul uses himself as an example. In 1 Corinthians 2, 1 to 3, he says this, And so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you. I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom, as I proclaim to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I came to you in weakness, with great fear and great trembling. I was thinking about this, these verses this week and how Paul describes himself because I, I know our church is going to be on the lookout for, uh, well, at least one pastor, possibly several, with Lobethal and, and myself finishing in my role, the kind of pastor that we look for. Would we have wanted Paul as a pastor? He describes himself as, as uh, weak, lacking eloquence. Uh, he came in fear and trembling. 
his message and his preaching was not with wise and persuasive words. And I kind of think that with preaching today and, and the fact that we access podcasts and preachers all around the world and we can just click a button and hear the best preacher in the world, we love great preaching and wise and persuasive words. And we love people who are bold and confident and courageous in their, in their proclamation of the faith. And that's kind of what we look for. That's the kind of leaders we love. Paul says, I was nothing like that when I came to you. He says, I came to you, Corinthians, in fear and trembling, without wise words and without eloquence. He says, my, my message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, with a a demonstration of the Spirit's power. He's saying it was about God at work, not me. And so Paul reminds them in, in themselves and then in himself that it's actually not about us, but it's about God. It's God who saves. It's God who redeems. It's God at work. It is because of Him that you are in Christ Jesus. It is because of God that we are in Christ Jesus. Let me kind of wrap this up then with some conclusions. I'm going to give you four things that I want to encourage you. Firstly, don't be surprised when people consider the gospel foolish. Don't be surprised. This is how it has been throughout the whole of history. The gospel is not considered wisdom by the world, but the wisdom of God is deeper and greater than the wisdom of the world and defeats it. This passage has told us that clearly. Secondly, don't be misled. Don't be misled. I think a bit particularly about uh, young adults who uh, maybe grow up in the church and they grow up through a youth group and they grow up in a family that goes to church and really all they've ever heard is kind of this affirmation of the importance and the significance of faith and how it all makes sense. The gospel is a, a great message and it's a, a positive thing. And then they land at university and suddenly they encounter intelligent, highly educated people who particularly in some disciplines of study, will strongly attack the gospel. And they get very, very shocked and they get very confused and they potentially get led away from their faith because they're like, well, this person is respected and honoured and revered as a highly educated person and they can articulate why they think the gospel is wrong. And uh, I've seen this happen. It's a terrible thing when someone is led away from their faith because they encounter someone who declares to them that the gospel is foolishness. We need to be very careful not to be misled and to know that the message of the cross is a message of great power and a message that subverts the wisdom of this world. I want to encourage you not to be discouraged, particularly if you're someone who seeks to share your faith or longs to see people know the gospel and in Australia at the moment, we don't see huge amounts of fruit. We don't see revival or renewal. All that often we do see, by the grace of God, people coming to faith. And, and in our church, we've seen people baptized and we've seen so many young people coming to know Jesus. And that's so exciting. But we need to be reminded of the words of Romans 1, 16 to 17. The Apostle Paul in that letter says this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. Because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the, righteousness, the righteous will live by faith. I am not ashamed of the gospel 
because it is the power of God. And I've come to believe, and I hope you have come to believe, that this message of the cross is greater than any human wisdom. It defeats human wisdom because it shows it up to be so flawed because human wisdom has nothing to say about knowing God. And there is nothing more important than to know God. So I'm not ashamed of the gospel. May you never be ashamed of the gospel. And lastly, having spoken so much in this message to those who already believe, I want to speak to anyone who hears this message or is watching this morning who does not yet believe who may consider the gospel and find it a confusing message, a difficult message, and something you don't understand. And so I want to say to you, do not dismiss this gospel. Do not dismiss it, especially if you've got education and and do not fall into that that, um, trap of being arrogant and prideful and saying, oh, this is just a, a message I can dismiss. Let me tell you, that the gospel, the message of the cross, is a message that overcomes and defeats human wisdom. So I would say do not dismiss this message. And I would encourage you to open up the Bible and ask that God would speak to you and start reading one of the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke or John, or one of Paul's letters, Romans or Ephesians perhaps, and go to that part of the Bible and just start reading and consider the gospel. You know, there's a very sobering part to this scripture right at the start. Verse 18, very first verse I read. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. You know, in the end, there are are only two groups of people in this world. There's only two groups of people in this world. There are those who are perishing, and there are those who are being saved. It's the only two groups. There are those who are perishing and there are those who are being saved. That is the stark reality of this world. And I've got to ask you the question, to which group do you belong? If you know by the grace of God that you belong to those who are being saved, those who have the hope of eternal life, then rejoice. Rejoice, be thankful and live your life every day in light of that hope and that assurance but if this if you're at this point in your life say i know that i'm not in that group then the scripture would say that at this point you are amongst those who are perishing and that is not a place where you want to be and it's not a place where god would want to leave you god's love for you is great and unconditional god love you so much as that famous scripture says that he sent his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not die, but have eternal life. So do not dismiss this gospel. Reach out, look into it, study it, talk to someone. For this is the message of the cross, is the wisdom of God. I'm going to invite uh, some couple of people to bring the communion table in. Now we're going to finish with communion as a church family, each in our own homes and the couple of a few of us who are here in the room. We're going to take communion, remembering that every time we do it takes us back to the cross. It takes us straight to the message of the cross. We're going to take bread, and in doing so, we'll remember the body of Christ that hung on the cross and was broken on that cross for our forgiveness. We're going to remember the blood of Jesus that was shed on the cross. 
blood that was shed uh, to create a new covenant in His blood that simply through faith, through believing, we can be forgiven and set free. I invite you now in your homes to take the bread and eat it. I'm going to ask everyone to come forward and grab the bread and the cup. And then after you've had the bread, just hold the cup and we're going to drink in just a second together. You've been listening to a sermon from Hills Baptist Church. To find out more or to hear other great content, find us at hillsbaptist.com or on your podcast app.